0: Couple years ago, I started a series through Mark, and uh, it's taking a little longer than I anticipated. But we're going to get there. Um, We're going to pick up in chapter eleven. We'll be in Mark uh, for the remainder of, or for September, October, and uh, not too sure about November yet. But then we have Advent, and then um, then we'll get back into it in January and sync it all the way up with Easter. uh, Hopefully, if my my planning goes okay, that's where we're headed. Um, Mark eleven begins the final week of Jesus' life on earth as far as the uh, before his death. Um, so this is the triumphal entry, which would be Palm Sunday typically, so we're going to have a lot a lot of that kind of in that week of his life in the next couple of months um, but I I'm really looking forward to going slowly and uh, seeing how God times up uh, everything in a really cool way. So, uh, let's start in verse 1. Let's just read this story together. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. So untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. All right, so um, I told the early service this that uh, I took um, I took one preaching class in seminary, um, which you're like, yeah, no kidding, Uh, only one. We get it. Uh, I took one, and um, in this class, the professor was a really big fan of packaging sermons in terms of like three nice, neat points. That all have the same kind of rhythm to them, and I resisted that so much. But today, it just kind of worked out that way. So, uh, Doctor this is for you. I'm going to tell you the three points ahead of time because I know I've talked to people who are note takers, and they're like, "I like to know how much how to like section out my my pages," which is foreign to me. But I'm going to give you am going to give you this one. All right, uh, here here are the three points. Uh, Jesus plans ahead. Jesus shatters expectations. Jesus remains steady. Jesus plans ahead. Jesus shatters expectations. Jesus remains steady. Um, so in Psalm 139, uh, there was a lot of theological stuff, some, some pretty deep emotional deals one, one week. Uh, this one is going to be largely just encouragement for us this morning. So if you are in a place where you're like I just need I just need to be encouraged, I hope that this does it. And uh sometimes studying Jesus uh does not bring encouragement because sometimes he brings a really hard word, you know. Uh but then other times it's like this it's like it's like breathing in like deep oxygen. Like when you get into the woods for the first time and it's such an oxygen rich environment, you're like, "Oh, this is this is life." Uh, <clears throat> kind of hoping that that's what this is today. Uh, so the first one, uh, Jesus plans ahead, and you probably are assuming I'm talking about him saying like, "Hey, there, go get the go get the colt ready," um, and that's that is what I'm talking about. But I, but it's it's more than that, and some of this is is trying to connect to like what would have been a known thing at the time. So we read this, and we're we're Americans in 2020, and so we read it like Americans in 2020. If we were Jewish in the first century, we would have, have known that there was a little bit more going on here. So here, let me tell you three things I'm talking about in terms of planning ahead. Um, there were some prophecies about the Messiah, about the deliverer of Israel that God would send. Uh, one uh, was that he would restore sight to the blind. And we see that in Isaiah 35 is what it says in verse 3. Verse um, Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. What that is, in part, saying. You could, if you were, to keep reading. You're just like, man, this is incredible. Uh, is when the, that one of the things about the Messiah is that he will be a miracle worker, and he will will come and he will find people who who are blind and he will restore their sight. And that's like a that's something to look for. And we were we are in Mark 11. But if you back up into Mark 10 on the journey from Jericho into Jerusalem, what does he do in 51? Uh, a blind man comes up to him. Jesus says, "What do you want me to do for you?" The blind man said, "Rabbi, let me recover my sight." Jesus says, "Go your way, your faith has made you well and immediately his sight and he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. so over seven hundred years before this this happens, Isaiah is saying, This is one of the things to look for. look for someone who can take take someone born blind and restore their sight okay um, second thing is in Zechariah nine nine it uh, says that he's going to enter Jerusalem riding on a colt. is what it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So why are they going crazy and rejoicing and having all these celebrations? Well, it's because the prophecy told them to. So 500 years before this moment, uh, in the prophecies in Zechariah, they were like, hey, when this happens, you need, you need to throw a party because this means that, that your redeemer, your Messiah has, is riding into town. And then we see that happen in the text we just read, in verse 7 through 9. So that's the second thing. Then in Malachi, which is also about 500 years before this says that that he's gonna um, upon his arrival he's gonna walk into the temple that's what he says in verse and Malachi 3.1. behold I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the Lord of hosts and what does he do at the end of that passage well verse eleven in Mark says he entered Jerusalem went into the temple so. Those might seem like obscure things, but, but here's, here's, a, here's another way to look at it, is that 700 years before this moment, and then 500 years through a different prophet, uh, through one prophet, and then also through another prophet, hundreds of years before, this moment was described as being prophetic, as being, when you see these, these things happening, you need to pay attention and that's why I say that God is a planner. He is planning ahead. Um, if 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 he were a farmer, he would be a really good one because really good farmers uh, they buy this little book called the what? Farmer's Almanac. That's right, and that shows you here's how you should map out your year. Because farming, you don't just decide. It's like, hey, I think I'm going to grow some cucumbers. Do you? You got to plan. And and real farmers, now Matt, he's a, he's a, like, he's a legit farmer right now. You got to work the land. You got, there's so, there's so much to it and it is a year round thing and you can grow things all year round if you know what you're doing. And God is a planner in that he is always planting seeds and making things grow and bringing in a harvest that is happening all the time. He's constantly doing that. And not just, he's not in one stage or the other. Within your life, if you were to segment your life in a bunch of different, different categories, in one he might be planting, another he might be growing, another might be harvest. There may be six areas where he's planting and 12 where, where he's growing and only one where there's a harvest. And you're, you're like, man, I, I'm not feeling very fruitful right now. And he's like, it's cool because I'm, I'm doing something. I'm, I'm growing you, I'm planting, I'm doing all these things, because God, he, he is one who plans ahead, and not just in your life, but also in, like, this, this global thing that we have going on as, like, humans, he's also doing that, because he's big enough to do the global thing and to do the personal thing all at the same time, with the same amount of attentiveness and care and love. Let me give you, let me give you an example that I talked about in the first service, um, of, of something that, that could seem like coincidence, but it's not. Um, a year ago, two years ago, um, once we, once we were through the two churches merging together and we're meeting together, one of the things that became very apparent is that, uh, so you're, there's carpet on this floor right now, but there used to be like laminate flooring. One of the things became very apparent is that it is super loud laminate flooring. Like, Uh, you could, if if a kid dropped a crayon, it sounded like they dropped the whole 64 pack and they were all made of metal. You know, like it was, it was a pretty, it was loud. And people, if someone got up to go to the restroom, you heard like every single step that they took. And um, was just, just loud, just loud. And uh, it wasn't a problem. You know, I'm always reassuring parents 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 be like, I'm sorry. My, my, my child made a lot of noise during this part. I'm like, I don't, I don't hear that. People don't really hear that. You hear it because you're the parent and you're dialed into it. Your kids are not bothering anybody. I I promise you they're bothering you more, much more than anyone else ever. And so, uh, like we want the kids in here. That's a hugely important thing. Um, it's really loud and that tends to take parents out of the moment sometimes. And, and I just remember saying, I wish we could carpet it. That would help a lot of things. Um, I wish we could carpet it, but we were like, "Well, but the expense and the timing, like how would we do that in a week and it just it did, just didn 't really seem to make sense and Then we had someone give us money to do to complete some projects around the facility. We had money left over because they came in under budget. We had enough money left uh, basically to do this to do this project, so we said well, let's let 's take the floor the flooring off of the of the room, put that on the stage, put carpet down. And that'll kind of allow us to repurpose it, and you know, it'll kind of all be great. And then COVID happened, and so it was something we had been thinking about and praying about, and we felt good about it, but we didn't know when to do it. COVID happens, we can't meet in here. We say, well, while we're out of it, let's let's do let's do this right, you know. Um, so it was something we had pr- we had prayed, we would sought God's wisdom, we had looked at the money, we hadn't done all the things, the timing synced up, everything was just just right. Um, and they start pulling up the floor and guess what's underneath the flooring? Mold. Uh, as you know, this, this place flooded in 2016 and uh, for, for some reason, and it's no one's fault, this, this happens sometimes. Uh, probably what was happening is the slab was sweating and uh, that mold was growing underneath that floor. Now, before you get super nervous, we were never in, at risk. Uh, it, was no, it, was con- it was contained, you know, but it was, but it was there, and it was growing. And who knows at what point were we going to discover this? How long were we gonna? Was that going to be there? You know. Um, and then at one point we were like, "Man, God totally knew that mold was down there." We had different. We had a different agenda. You know, um, we had different reasoning for wanting to do it. And God knew there's a there's a more intense reason why you need to do this. You know. And so we were we were thinking about it, we were praying about it, we were consulting each other, we were, look, we were doing all the practical things but we were patient and we were waiting and God had been laying the groundwork the whole time he had been like getting us ready to be able to do this, he knew when, he knew how how much it would cost, he knew that because the, because it was here, it was also back here in these rooms, so we would had to do those too and he provided the money for that, we didn't factor that stuff in there, you know, like he he just did it you know and we could look at that and say, what a coincidence. <laughs> or we could say, look at a God who is always at work, always planning ahead, always leading us forward. Because we're part of a story that God's telling. And God is telling this story of this, this good, beautiful God taking care of his really messy kids in the midst of our brokenness and our pain, And he is planting and growing, and the harvest will be something that exceeds anything we could ever dream about. That's the story that he's telling, and it's through things like that, but every one of us, if if we will step back and we'll say, God, will you show me, show me all the ways where you're doing those things, it gives us all these stories to tell of his faithfulness and encourages us. So perhaps maybe there's something where you are in your life right now where you say, I just need to be reminded that God is at work, that he's planting and he's growing and that there is is a harvest. And even if, even if some of those harvest moments don't happen until the new earth, you know, but you know that it's coming. You know that none of it will be wasted. So that's the first thing. Second thing is about expectations. And Jesus shattering them. So if we look at the we look at the response of the people in the story, it tells us a lot about where where their minds were. Okay, um, it says uh, we read about their, them putting their cloaks on the ground, like the, the, you we could think coat. You know, they put their coats on the ground. Um, that it wasn't something that you did just for anyone. That's something that you do when when the king is coming into town. And they would take their coats off and they would lay it on the street, and it was it was making a pathway, you know, like a like a, like a bride walking down the aisle for her wedding, like you're you're paving the way, and it's with their own like coats. It would, it would be an honor to say, uh, like I'm doing this for my king. So this was a this was a coronation, like this wasn't just uh, the beginning of Passover week, and we're already excited to be together. Uh, the fact that they were waving palm branches—that was—they didn't have—they uh, didn't have flags back then, and so that would be like going to a political rally, and everyone's waving an American flag. The palm branches would be like waving the the flag of, of Israel. It stood for victory, stood for a Jewish nationalism, and so this was a political rally that they threw which means that the crowd is very much in line with how most of the Jewish community thought of the Messiah. They thought of him as a military political leader who was going to restore Israel to the greatness of the Davidic kingdom when David was on the throne. That's what they were saying. Um, it, is, it is time. Uh, we're now going to rise up and unify and become the great military force and overthrow Rome, our great oppressor. <coughs> now, that's what the crowd was thinking. And Jesus, uh, when I say that he shatters expectations, I mean two things. I mean that he uh, like deconstructs and demolishes human expectation, but he replaces it with something that is greater. Like when someone shatters a world record, it means that they exceeded it. So he's not only dismantling our expectations, he is replacing them with something that is far, far greater. Because he, yeah, he's the Messiah. He just wasn't the Messiah that they were expecting or demanding or even thought that they needed, you know? They thought they needed a, a military leader, a political leader, but what Jesus is is Wanting them to understand is that the the deliverance and the power he's bringing to them is, is so much better, you know, that, that Rome was not really their enemy, was not, not the real enemy. I mean, Rome was a problem, but they were so fixated on, on their like military political situation that they, they were not paying attention to what the entire Old Testament has been pointing toward which is that the problem is not external. The problem is internal. So he says, I'm here to rescue you, but not from Rome. I'm here to rescue you from yourself, from your own destruction, from your own internal chaos. I'm here to bring peace, but not the kind of peace that you're thinking. You're thinking about peace that comes from, you have, in a military sense, you've dominated everyone and no one can push back against you. That's not peace. Peace. I've come to bring like the, the oneness with God that you were created to walk in, that kind of peace. I've come to bring a kingdom, but not the kingdom you're thinking. One that is far better, one that is unshakable. So, uh, Jesus riding through the town, uh, it says in another gospel that he is actually crying. He's like crying. And he's crying because their expectations are so far off, and yet there is a there is a beauty because he knows in order in order for them to see how their misplaced expect how misplaced their expectations are, uh, he knows that he's going to have to die. That his death, his burial, and his resurrection would would begin to open up, like like truly open up the eyes of the blind. Um, and all of these unmec- expectations came to came to a climax when when he was crucified. Because to them, uh, the Messiah would not be uh, the Messiah is not a figure that's able to be crucified, right? The, a Messiah does the crucifying. That for, from their from their perspective, like no, he's he's the one handing down the orders. He's not on the receiving end of crucifixion. And their unmet expectations made them so angry that they turned on him and they said, give us Barabbas. Mm-hmm. Crucify him instead. And there's a big lesson in, in here for us that that God doesn't always do what we expect him to do or what we want him to do. And that's not loss on the Lord. You know, like the things that you and I go through, the the things that we're, we're we're want. we praying for, we're expecting, we want our lives to look a certain way. And when it doesn't, and we're, we're frustrated or we're sad or we're whatever, whatever you want, you want to call it. It's not lost on him. It's not something that he, he didn't roll his eyes at us in those things. He's, he cares about those, those things that, but what he ultimately is wanting for us to keep in mind is that those unmet expectations will be replaced. And as I said earlier, maybe maybe not into the new earth, but it will be replaced with something that is far far greater. Like it will really blow our minds. Let me read you read you a letter that I got recently. Um, the uh, one of the things that I don't talk about enough is the fact that we uh, have a partnership in Calcutta with a foster home, and um, it's a there's about a dozen uh boys and five girls and they live in two different homes it started off as an orphanage and then it kind of become it's kind of becoming an orphanage foster home hybrid thing and uh these are kids that were either they were homeless children or they were uh living in slums and their parents were unable to care for them um they've come in to live at this home. And so um, several years ago when we entered into this partnership, it was us and a nonprofit in a church there in Calcutta, working the three of us working together to care for this uh, kid's home. And since then, uh, the nonprofit and the church there have all stepped away uh, from the partnership. And not because there's anything wrong, they just it's probably too long of a story to tell, but it's basically just us and the, and the kid's home. And and they are tremendous. Like They are they are a, a they are tremendous. Um, and I hate that they're so far away because I wish that our relationship with them could look like it's supposed to look, like we hoped it would look in the beginning. Um, and I know that sometimes they're watching the live stream. So uh, Nabine and Matilda, if you're watching, we love you uh, very 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 much. And uh, but as it has become just us and hope it's hope of life is the name of the home. Um, it's just proven to be really difficult because we're so far away. Uh, there is a language barrier. There's a cultural difference right now. We can't travel to be with them. Uh, it, I always feel like they have, we can't be for them what they need and what they deserve. Um, and, and that's, that's difficult, you know, and, certainly struggle with feeling like we're failing them a lot just me personally um that's been a, it's a battle it, and um again it's nothing on their end it's just it's just the nature of how it works and so we've been asking God to give us a partnership with a church there on the ground that can do a lot of the things that we can't do so far we haven't been able to make that happen anyway um all that to say my personal expectations And, uh, and various sets of expectations around the whole situation have probably been unmet and that feeling of failure weighs pretty heavily. So I get this, (coughs) this email and it's a letter from one of the, one of the girls in the girl's home. I'm going to read it to you. Um, my name is Soma. I live in, uh, Calcutta, India. I came from a very poor family. And along with my younger sister, Pinky, and my little brother, Raju, uh, I lived with my parents in a small hut until I was six years old. One morning, my mother suddenly left the family with another man and never returned, leaving us with our alcoholic father, a rickshaw puller, uh, who out of bitterness began to drink even more heavily. Daily, he spent uh, any earnings he made on alcohol, coming home empty-handed and drunk, never bringing any food home or bothering with us at all. I decided at six years old, okay, now six, think about the six-year-olds that you know. I decided at six years old that I should do something to get food for my brother and sister. So from morning to night, we began picking through garbage for any plastic we could find to sell. The few rupees we made uh, helped us buy food to share, and that's how we spent our days. One day I woke to find my father had passed away during the night. I didn't know what to do. Neighbors heard my crying and came to remove his body. I had no relatives, uh, and soon we were told to leave the rented hut. So we began living outside on the road under a shed, uh, picking through trash every day to survive. One day a man approached me and asked about my life. I was afraid, but he was kind, and I began to speak with him. He asked if I wanted to go to a home and explained it was a place to stay where we would get clothes, food, a place to sleep, and the chance to study. I didn't understand school because none of my family had ever gone, but we really wanted food and clothes and sleep. Soon the man brought another, another man named Nabin. Now, Nabeen and his wife, Matilda, they, they run the home. So that man brings, uh, brings Nabeen and his wife, Matilda, and they were very kind and sympathetic toward us, but they only had a boy's home and they brought my little brother there. So my sister and I started living with Nabeen and Matilda in their home until there was a girl's home for us as well. First few days I had trouble, uh, sleeping the night and, uh, Matilda said, "Ah, let me comb your hair. When she tried to comb it, she found that my hair was filled with lice. I was very scared, but with her patient encouragement, I finally agreed to have my head shaved. The infestation was so bad that after the hair was shaved, my scalp was covered with sticky white patches. And when scraped, the lice fell from my scalp like sand. But finally, after shaving, washing, and, and treatment, for the first time, I found sound sleep. I started going to school, but I didn't understand anything at all. Daily, the head teacher complained, but uh Nabeen and Matilda asked her to be patient with me because studying was new to me. I even ran away once due to the difficulty of adjusting to learning to study. But Nabine found me and brought me home, and together they tried their best to help me. Soon, I also challenged myself to study hard and to do well. And I got better at it, even becoming a top student. I, I, uh, I followed science and made uh, first division in class 10 exams, and I've just completed class 12 with, it, with an A-plus in all subjects, again earning first division marks. I went from being the first in my family to attend school to struggling as a new and experienced student to being one of the best students in the whole school. I thank Jesus for blessing me and helping me, I wanna show my brother and sister that even a garbage-picking girl can do well in life. Jesus used the and Matilda and the Hope of Life uh, family to make this possible for me. I'm grateful to them for taking me off the street and treating me like their own child. If they wouldn't have found me, I would have been lost. Instead, I've been at Hope of Life home for 10 years. For the first time since arriving here, I'll be leaving my, my family soon to, t- to go to nursing school. I'm thankful to all who have been uh, and will continue to pray, support, and care for my life. Please continue to pray for my studies and my future. So, yeah. So, th- when your expectations are unmet, sometimes Jesus finds a way to exceed them. Uh, I never would have, never would have guessed that Soma would be a 4.0 student going to nursing school, you know? Um, and in the midst of those feelings of failure, like we're failing them, Jesus is doing this beautiful work. And it's So, he's always planning. He's always, he's doing those things. And as he's doing them, as he is planting and growing and harvesting, he's taking our very low bar expectations and shattering them and replacing them with something far greater. Um, Final point. Jesus remains steady. How does he handle the hype and the frenzy of this coronation moment? All these misplaced expectations, but everyone is so excited to see Does he ride up to the stage and give a speech? No. Does he he do anything self-centered with the moment? No. Verse 11 tells us, he entered Jerusalem, went to the temple. When he had looked around at everything, it was already late, so he went to Bethany with the twelve. Like, We see this throughout the Gospels, that Jesus doesn't get caught up in the attention and the fame of the moment. He is always steady. He's seemingly unfazed by people trying to make him famous. And that steadiness, based on what we know about him, if, when you study, you study the, the Gospels and you see his life, that steadiness is rooted, rooted in his trust of the Father, that's why the Lord's Prayer, I mean, it's just this incredible expression of trust in the Father. The high priestly prayer in John 17, immaculate. Just an incredible expression of trust. 1 Peter 2 23, Peter is, is Mark's source for all of these things. This is what Peter says. He says, When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter, who witnessed this, his summation is he just entrusted himself to the Father. And steadiness makes sense when you trust the God who's planning ahead in order to create a reality for you that far exceeds anything you could hope or imagine. Like it makes sense. When I'm when I'm like, of course I'm gonna trust a God. Who is planting, growing, and harvesting things in my life and leading me in this present reality and all the way into this eternal future that is is would it's so far more than I could ever dream up. Of course, of course that will make you steady. Of course it will. And Jesus offers this to us in John 14, 27. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world does, so I give it to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This steadiness, this peacefulness, this oneness with the Father that we see, he says, I'm gonna share it with you. That's where this has all been, this is all where it's all going. Later this very week, he would say those words to his disciples. And what if they were just in awe of the fact of like, how is he not getting swept up in the narrative? How is he not making this 100% political? How is he how is he remaining so steady? Oh, because he's he's operating out of a different kingdom. That's why. That's why. And I've said this so many times in the last couple of months. I've, something to this effect that what if what if the jesus followers were the most steady people in our world right now you know like what if the jesus followers in regard to covid were just just steady like this kind of jesus riding through jerusalem steady you know what if in regard to the election the christians were like hey we're not we're not bugging out about the election What about as as our country enters and continues through this dialogue about racism, what if the Christians were like "No we're 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 good, we're steady on this." I mean, plug in any issue that you want. Christians being steady, like what a testimony that is, you know Think about how much that would highlight what Paul says in Ephesians three. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. That, that the church walking in steadiness, we're like, well, yeah, of course we would because he's planning ahead to shatter our expectations and to replace them with something far greater than we ever could. And so may that may he be glorified in his people, in his church, and in his son, Christ Jesus, in every generation forever like that. We have a chance to walk that out. And I'm not, I'm not at all trying to say that we're not doing that, you know? I believe that we are all, like, we're trying to do that. We want to be those steady people in the midst of it. And sometimes it's easy to be steady, and other times it's like it, you kind of get knocked off your block a little bit Um, but that's, that's the thing about like a daily, a daily bringing of ourselves before the Lord about walking through our like 24 hour days with the Lord is that he is able to help us. Like we're anchored into him. And so as we kind of bobble back and forth, we're rooted in something that's greater than ourselves. That's what we see in Jesus. And he offers that to you and to me because nothing about nothing about COVID puts the kingdom of God at risk. Nothing about the election, the outcome of the election, and even how we get there. Nothing about it puts the kingdom of God at risk. You plug in anything that's making you nervous or anxious or uncertain or that makes you feel like the world is unsteady. None of that stuff is a threat. Not to God and not to his people. And so... Whether you want to apply these things to those big, big issues or the things that are big, but maybe only big to you, to be encouraged by the fact that God is planning ahead, He's active. And in His activity, your expectations may not be met. And when they are not met, they will be replaced with something far, far greater. And even when they are met, it'll still be greater. And that from, from that heart-set, mindset, relationship, connection to God, we, we can walk in steadiness through very uncertain times. And so as we follow Jesus through the last, that, that week from the triumphal entry through the resurrection, as Mark lays it out for us, we're going to see, see this incredible uh, trust in the Father and how that plays out, and to keep in mind that he's like I'm sharing this with you you can you can now have access to the very same thing should be a, a huge source of encouragement and a challenge in a, in a really beautiful way and so only you know where this like applies in your life like only you know how to how to like drag this into your stuff and so now it's you know it, it's a stewardship thing it's okay I, I see Jesus as the model. And as, the, as he's showing me exactly what, I'm, what my life can look like. He's showing me what a healed, steady person looks like. And he's inviting me into it. And I'm just ready to join him. What an invitation it is. And I would encourage you, and I hope you would encourage me, to say yes to it. Um, so uh, that's, that's the end of the sermon. Uh, <laughs> I think I skipped the day in that class where they told you how to land the plane. Uh, we should probably sing, right? Let's don't you just want to sing a little bit? I just want to sing a little bit. Let's stand together. Let me pray for us. Lord. I'm thankful. There's so many different ways I can think to apply uh, some of the things in this passage. especially the idea that you're at work. And I know I, I need that reminder and that encouragement. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I need help letting go of my expectations. And that part of me that just kind of insists on my own way or that I know best. And I'm probably not alone in that either. And ask that you would help me to keep all those things in mind and to receive the 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 peace that Jesus is offering to me, the steadiness. That we as a group would receive the steadiness that you're offering, and it just that we wouldn't focus on the peace. We focus on the giver of the peace. Look who's offering this to us. I mean, this, this incredible Savior is offering us the steadiness that we see and admire in him. And so we thank you, Jesus, for, thank you for shattering expectations. Thank you for not giving in to the crowd's demands Thank you for not getting caught up in the political, military, whatever of Messiahship. Thank you for staying focused on the real enemy. But greater than that, you were focused on the goodness of the Father who is going to lead into a salvation and a story that is far better than we could ever ask or imagine. And so in that same spirit, uh, may you be glorified in your church. Um, as we lift up the name of Jesus together.